Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unboxed. We're happy to see you back again, and I'm your host, Pauline. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And if you're listening to our podcast, we'd really appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating and review. So I'm going to let our guests today introduce themselves. We'll start off with David, if you want to say hi. Hi, everyone. And we have Ray. Hi, everyone. Cavani. Hey. Delfina. Hello. Alicia. Hi. Kuzi. Hi. Prince. What is happening? UAL. <laughs> what's good? What's good? Chizzes. Hi. And Afra. Hey. Okay, so thank you guys for joining us today. Um, so we've been seeing that there's been a lot of protests going on, you know, with Black Lives Matter. So I just wanted to start off with asking you guys how what your experiences have been with the protests, um, especially in Vancouver. So if anyone's been to any of the protests that's been going on, if you can just let me let us know what your experiences have been like so we'll start with you El. so yeah thank you so much uh for asking that question i think on sunday so not necessarily a week ago today but almost a week ago last week on sunday um when i pulled out of my car and i saw the crowd of individuals who came out to support the cause i was vehemently overwhelmed um and I, I saw, I looked out into the audience and I saw um, different faces and individuals from different communities and it was an intersectional crowd. And uh, I saw the individuals who were able, and I heard the individuals who were able to speak and the rage and the, and the exhaustion and, and the pain. And I, you know what, I, for, not for a long time at least, I think for myself for the first time ever, I, I felt like, you know, people really, came to understand how how the black community the, the african canadian community in our city that you know the the fallacy that we we're not no, we don't know the pain of what uh, you know it's not as bad as america everything is cool here i i think people finally got to understand and and, and really see us and hear us and, and understand the vexations the systematic and social vexations that have been exposed to us and that we've undergone our entire our entire existence in Vancouver, um, I, I I think it was a great opportunity for individuals within our community to, in our community to go up and to speak and to let it be known what we've been going through and that we've had enough and we're not gonna you know it's, we we haven't tolerated it but now it's time for white people and non-black people of color to not tolerate it as well and it's been uplifting for me and it's and and it's it, the Sunday protest I, I would have to say specifically like it was really. Uh, heartwarming for me to see uh, the support. However, that this is, I want this to be the beginning. What I fear is everyone's going to go home and things are going to, you know, the, the pandemic is going to continue and everyone is going to remain complacent with, yeah, that was great. I made a sign. Whoop-de-whoop. -whoop. But now what? 
we have now is the time for us to amalgamate, to organize, to call out anti-black racism in every sector of our society, to call out our communities. And again, I don't want to reiterate, but it's not our responsibility. Black folk have been doing the damn thing for as long as we've been alive. Now it's time for non-black people of color, and it's it's up for white, it's up to white people to do the work on themselves and to call out call out um, anti-black racism, whether it's systematic or social themselves. And so it's a great start, but I just have this constant fear now that, whoa, 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 let's not get complacent. This is just the beginning for y'all. We've been doing this. So let's, 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 let's find this spark into a flame. Thank you. And Kavani? Yeah, I agree. I was there at the protest on Sunday as well, and it was very well organized. It was really heartwarming to come and see thousands of people stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and to stand against the systematic systematic oppression of Black people in Canada um, and in the States and around the world. And I must say, I agree with you, Yuel. Um, hope I'm not betraying your name, but no, I absolutely agree with you. I, I feel it's heartwarming to see that people, that allies, that we have allies in Canada and in Vancouver, but I have the concern that this standing up against anti-Black racism is a fad, which may be short-lived. So I agree, I want to call on our allies, I want to call on people who are standing up for us now to make this happen all year round. Um, I've been a part of a number of uh, community organizations that have been organizing in this time. In particular, uh, I'm a part of an organization called uh, BC, Black in BC Mutual Aid Collective, and we have been raising funds for folks, Black folks in BC who need access to emergency uh, funds in COVID, right? And on May 25th, we were at about $20,000. And now we're over a hundred thousand. We're approaching a hundred and forty thousand. That was ha that happened within ten days. Now that's excellent. I'm super excited to see that's happening. But then my concern is that what happens next month? What happens after that? So I really think that as Black organizers and Black organizations, we need to build it into our website or build it into whatever platform we're organizing in to try to get um, non-Black allies to support us all throughout the year. So whether it be sign up for monthly donations or sign up for these monthly subscriptions or anything so that we can ensure that they're engaged throughout the year and that it's not just a fad. Yeah, that's a good point. And how have you guys um, kind of thought about the experience with non-Black people and their support, especially with friends and people who you're close to that are non-Black, have you seen that majority of the time it's been positive support or are there some people that you're now starting to rethink in your circle? Well, thankfully, like within my circle, um, a lot of the people that I interact with, they understand, I mean, as to the best that they can, they understand uh, the severity of the situation and they understand also the kind of their role um, a lot of the protests that I've been going to, there's like one of the organizers always makes a point to um, to say that at the end of the day, like this is a struggle that we have been dealing with for a long time. And as allies, like this is a time for you guys to kind of listen and see what you need to do. Um, because obviously, like, you know, some, for some people, this is the first time that they're maybe even hearing about it or the first time that they're having to deal with it. And so it's an important time for them to be like, okay, what do I need to do? Or what do you think you need to do? Because people have been laying the groundwork for this for a long time. This is not anything new to us. 
Um, but it's like, I, I feel like when I look into the media or I look into like other platforms, not necessarily like within my own circle, that's when I see kind of the pushback um, against like what we're doing or maybe the, the message is kind of lost. And even with me, like within my own family, I feel like that's been my biggest struggle. Um, I'm Eritrean, uh, which is in East Africa, for those who don't know, but it's it's kind of hard for them. Like, my parents aren't from this country. They don't really, like, know a lot of what's going on, so it's really hard for them to see it, and especially when they get a lot of their news from the media, which is obviously never, it's not always an accurate portrayal of what is going on. They They don't really always understand the message, or they have this, like, what is protesting going to even do, or maybe if people didn't do A, B, and C, then this wouldn't happen to them. So I feel like that's been my biggest struggle in terms of like the people around me. Um, even going to these protests, especially during Corona, obviously like they just don't see it as right, but like we have to do the work regardless. Have you guys had any, like you said, any pushback on the protest, like going to it? And um, even from people who, maybe want to disrupt the protest. I know someone was saying something about someone chanting all lives matter at one of the protests. Um, um, I'll just figure out the raise hand thing, but yeah, I did want to say something about, um, about pushback at the protest. I did kind of hear about an incident uh, at the protest yesterday where um, there was kind of out of nowhere after the protest had finished and people were kind of dispersing, there was a group of white supremacists that kind of has started harassing a bunch of protesters. And there was one that I know that um, she's like a 17 year old girl and they were kind of just harassing them, calling them that word and just, you know, doing the most. And um, basically what the police had done was form a barrier around the, the people that were harassing them to protect the to protect them from the protesters um and so it had turned into a whole new march where all these people were kind of um marching and like kind of just speaking out against the cops that were protecting these people um and it took about 40 minutes for them to do anything about it um and i found it very ironic that after all of this work that had been done all of this assembly like all of this effort that had been put into um, awareness and I feel like the cops should be especially should be held accountable at a time like this not just um, white and non-POC like non-black POCs but I feel like the cops should be um, on high alert and should be extremely careful with how they respond but I feel like that was just completely uncalled for especially at that time in that place but um, yeah as far as pushback goes I just found that very it was really offensive that that could even happen at a time like that. But yeah, and as far as um, as allies go, I feel like it's been interesting kind of seeing um, non-Black people's responses to what's been going on. It's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of different types of allies where there's some that will actually ask you what they can do and how they can help and they will listen, they'll take that in and they'll apply it. And there's people that will ask you and then not listen. And they'll kind of just go like, eh, I think this is the right way for me to be an ally and then just do what they think is right. And in, in turn, that kind of ends up being worse than, I'd rather someone just not be on our side, honestly, than to be like, oh, like, we're here to help. Like, what can we do? And then go like, eh, I don't really want to do it that way. 
um, but yeah, I feel like people need to, need to really, they need to listen at the end of the day. That's how to be an ally. It's the best way. Prince? Uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to bounce off of the, um, the statement you made about the police and the white supremacists earlier. Uh, I just find it funny um, that when the white supremacists decided to harass the protesters, that the police went and protected the white supremacists rather than protecting the protesters they were harassing. Um, I feel like this is a this is a very um, a very big issue in the sense of how uh, non-black people and um, non-black people in general uh, view uh, the black population. Uh, and I, I see it as this, I see it as they think we are as prone to anger and violence as they are, or more so, or more so than. Um, so in a situation like this, if I'm a police officer and someone is harassing, is harassing somebody, I would want to protect the person being harassed, not the harasser. And this is a problem I feel like we find a lot of in, in North America, is where um, whether it's a Black person being killed or a Black person being harassed, uh, people are so quick to jump to the defense, whether it's physically or not. People are so quick to jump to the defense of uh, the white person in the situation that they completely disregard the way the black person uh, may be feeling within that situation. Um, so I just want to uh, make that a point that I find I find that quite funny that even here in Canada, as people say, there's no racism here, but even here in Canada, we see that the movements of the police match those in uh, that we find across the border to the south. Uh, in terms of pushback, in terms of protests, uh, I, I went to both protests, but it's not, I, I, I didn't find much push, pushback in the protests. I found more pushback with uh, other forms of protest, uh, like Blackout Tuesday, um, where, uh, I don't know if you, for those of you who are watching, or for those of you here, Blackout Tuesday was a, uh, was a online protest or a physical protest as well, specifically in the arts community, because I'm a part of the arts community where people were trying not to stream music, uh, people weren't going to dance classes, people weren't um, sharing personal things on social media. They were supposed to take the day to educate themselves uh, in order to better help the cause. Um, now, I'm, I'm a professional dancer, and uh, one of the biggest blowbacks I had was from another dancer, uh, non-Black non dancer, um, who said, uh, it's great that you guys are protesting, protesting this way, but I don't feel like I need to protest this way because it messes with my money, um, is, is basically the, uh, the entirety of her argument. Um, so I, at this point, when it comes to these protests, uh, I love to see what people are doing but I don't believe that people truly understand uh, what is necessary for this lifelong fight. This isn't a fight that's gonna happen. Or, or as Yul was saying, uh, this is not something that is, uh, 
that is a day or week long or a month long or a year long thing for us. We've been dealing with this for life. So to see all these people gathered here is a beautiful thing, but I don't know if they truly understand that this is something that is going to take their generation, maybe their children's generation, and maybe their children's children's generation in order to combat. Uh, it's all nice for you people to have signs. It's beautiful that people are donating to the cause, uh, but uh, truthfully, I don't believe it yet because from what I've seen on social media and from uh, some of the blowback I've received uh, from people uh, in terms of on even online protests or even something like sharing something on social media, uh, there's been a little blowback in a whole bunch of ways. So I'm still, I, I don't believe it. Truthfully. David, go ahead. Um, the, the only point that I really wanted to make was that it's really interesting and a little bit sad that it took a, an actual global pandemic for this to happen. Um, and also a tra another tragedy, you know, because these incidents, because, you know, this was kind of caused or catalyzed by the killing, the killings that happened with George Floyd and, and uh, Breonna Taylor and others. And I think that one thing that contributed to this much turnout for the protests was that a lot of people are unemployed. Um, people have more time to actually care and look and um, pay attention to these issues. Because it's not new for us to protest and, and, and call out um, police brutality or injustice or anti-Black uh, racism. Like these are things that have been going on for centuries. So I think it's a little bit sad that um, it took a pandemic and it took another, another person, another Black person getting killed for people to finally say, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe they have a point. Maybe I'll listen this time. You know, maybe I'll support. Um, because that's, that's what leads me to kind of be more pessimistic and feel like maybe, you know, it's not going to be sustainable because what if things go back to normal? What if things were normal right now? You know, what if we weren't in a pandemic? Will we be seeing the same level of support? I don't think so. So that's that's kind of the point that I wanted to make. Ray? So uh, regarding the protest, like I didn't go to the protests um, yesterday, but uh, just looking on social media from the outside, it was like a lot of people on my social media feed as well went to the protest. It was on the, on the surface level, which to reiterate most of the points that have been brought up here, it was encouraging to see that at least on a superficial level, there is some sort of camaraderie in terms of, uh, of the fact that this is an issue that we're all aware of. And um, again, again, just to the point that most people said, that being said, the question is going forward, what does that look like? Um, and also, again, a couple of things, uh, I don't know if we're gonna get to that later on the, on the conversation, is uh, there's different, you know, this this is a multifaceted issue and protesting is is definitely a great step and it's step number one, but there's so many things that, that need to be done either by, you know, as a black community, us coming together in that sense, and as well as you know, the responsibilities and roles for the non-black community as well as humanity as a whole. So and a, a perfect example would be um, getting, because you need to have some sort of like economic and social capital as, as a society to, to, to make this sustainable. So I, don't, I won't be a little, I won't 
go to that point too much because I'm assuming there's going to be a question along along the lines of that. But I'll just kind of stick to just the question that was asked right now. So, like I said, on 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 one level, it was good to see the protests, um, and to see the the numbers that came to show out in support. I had a couple of people reach out to me just at the protest, just like, "Hey, how's it going?" and or, you know, were you able to make it, et cetera. The other thing, um, in terms of pushback, I would say in my case, again, not necessarily pushback to the protests or reaction in general. I would say on social media, it's been interesting because uh, this time around, like I've, I've, you know, people that know me and people that are, I guess, my within my social media sphere, so to speak, they know I've been speaking out uh, on on any issues around social justice and obviously being passionate about you know social justice when it comes to black people so it wasn't necessarily a surprise from anyone on my social media feed that this was coming up uh if anything the, uh, the conversations i was um, engaging in more are less to do with trying to explain to people why black matters is better than white or it's different from white all lives because for me i've had that conversation over the years, unlike most black people, I'm done with that conversation in a sense. Uh, if anything, it's kind of interesting. I'm seeing a lot of my non-black, mostly white allies kind of engage in that conversation kind of amongst themselves. So it's been interesting being a spectator, just kind of like, you know, sometimes I might like something just to almost like giving props to the white ally, like good job, you know, without necessarily commenting. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting kind of like role in that sense. Um, but then the other thing, what I ended up doing was I, I ended up sharing uh, an example for myself because a couple of friends and I we thought about this and you know we like some people as, as annoying as it is some people need to see it needs to happen to someone that they know personally or their family because for example like my wife's white uh, so her family is basically white and then there's a lot of, there's a lot of family members along that side and I, so my, and long story short I shared a story about some police brutality that I've based um, when I moved because I lived in the States for a couple of years, like eight years ago, no, 12 years ago, actually. Yeah. And uh, so I shared a story, which for me is just like, you know, black people, that's just, oh yeah, that's just, that's just the story that happened that one day and you can internalize it. And to the point, and that it, you'd realize how much you internalize that kind of uh, situation and you just kind of like brush it off, but really you're, you're kind of dealing with that trauma internally. Uh, whenever you're, you're faced with a police situation, even if it's just a police officer walking by, you kind of go back to that, that amongst many other moments that happened. But long story short, it was interesting kind of we seen like a, it actually impacted a lot of them to realize, oh, wow, this could happen to, to Ray. And again, as annoying as it was for me to be like, really, it, it, it took having to, 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 for someone that you knew personally, uh, sometimes as humans, unfortunately, that's kind of, we're kind of like selfish in a sense. So it has to happen to the black guy that you know, and then hopefully that starts the conversation because it's a starting point. It's not the end of it. I think where, I'm not really sure about the term pushback, kind of, but um, like non-black people that I've seen attending protests, um, I think there is like a strong admiration that I could give them uh, for coming out and really showing their support. But I think now, it kind of seems like going to the protests and being woke is trendy. And um, a lot of the people who did go to the protest uh, yesterday, especially, uh, really liked to take pictures and share what their signs were. And uh, I don't know, it becomes pretty clout uh, oriented. And um, a lot of the people that I saw post squares the other day 
kind of just posted the square black or a hashtag of blackout Tuesday and that was it. And I tweeted something a few days back and I said, if you want to be an ally, create dialogue. And I saw somebody else also put that as a caption, create dialogue. And it makes me angry because I don't need to create dialogue for anybody. I've been creating my own dialogue, you all can see. But where is the dialogue that non-Black people are creating if this is their kind of thing? I think that, like the real pushback comes, comes from people wanting to be woke and show uh, alliance through social media, but not really putting in the effort to like write something out for everyone to really see. And I feel like this is like a frustrating thing, like considering how lovable and how like popular some people are and they don't want to share that kind of knowledge. Like they want to be, I'm all about it. I'm all about the you know Black Lives Matter. I'm all about this movement, but it's, I, also get frustrated when I only see people sharing what I share within like a certain time frame that lines up. And it's like, you're not, you're not taking the time. Like I'm following these people. So this, this is what I see, but you're not following these people and you're just sharing everything I share it to me. That's not really obtaining knowledge. And I think I'm at this, my, I'm in this mindset now where I'm like, everyone who is not black and is just sharing whatever I'm sharing. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe I'm just in, I'm in some kind of weird mindset, but I'm thinking you are kind of like, this is how you're going to be. And I don't really see anyone really trying hard. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I hope you can tell your children about this because, and I hope they learn better. I hope they acknowledge this diversity because like, I don't know, someone said earlier, it's like, it's like, it's, it's a generational kind of healing thing. And I feel like, you're not going like people like presently who haven't experienced something or who are not close to a black person who has really gone through something and who's really shared in their own narrative. I feel like they are not, they're only going to be about what's in their phone. There are so many like resources. There's so many people who are still in school who can search up like all these things like social index, uh, psych info, like all these things you can look up and just like learn from your own. Like not everything is a hard read. And a lot of these things are like very interesting and like very powerful tools, but people only really want to just look at whatever is being posted on Instagram. If it's a video, if it's an easy read and people are really saying, this is horrible. This is, has been happening to black people for so long. And I'm caught between, like, I feel like my anger comes in two levels. It's the level of, I want to be focused on what's happening in the real world, but I'm also starting to focus more on getting angry by people who are all of a sudden bandwagoning like this is a brand new thing like this didn't like this hasn't been like my life and I always talk I'm always thinking like the pain that all black people I feel experience is just like it's like transcending like through all of us because this is the only that's the only image you put on every single black person you know because you don't really care to see like the, the past or like whatever you only learned about black people reading like underground railroad to Canada. Like that's the only like knowledge people kind of have. And I'm really just hoping people who really are like donating are not just donating for clout because now donating has become also like a trend. Like I'm tagging all these people, show me your receipts, show me what you donated. And it's amazing. Like give us all your money. That's great. But at the same time, 
I feel like there should be like a real effort in like taking the time to realize like where your money is going and why it's really needed in this area rather than just I want people to see how good I am. That's all I gotta say. Thanks. Alicia? I, I didn't, I wasn't able to attend the protest because some of my family members are, um, yeah, they have other issues, so I couldn't um, attend. But for me, the issue was um, like allyship. I, I live in an incredibly white community to the point where like we're the only black family. Um, and so over the course of this week, I felt my allyship was really odd because people were texting me and calling me to appease their own white guilt. Um, and then again, it was like this issue of like, okay, why do I have to teach you about these black issues when you should be going out and doing that on your own? Um, and so for me, that was the biggest issue was like, people were like, I'm so sorry, this is happening. Are you okay? Um, and I said, the best way to make myself feel better is for you to like go out and educate yourself. And then I was met with silence. <laughs> um, and for me, that was the biggest thing. It's like, I saw online so much uh, such a big community that wasn't black that was supporting and yet in my own world it was very much like this very passive just appease your white girl guilt check on your one like black friend you know put some money towards a cause and you're like you're good to go um, and for me that was such a big issue and it's still ongoing where I'm like realizing that this has definitely like triggered the traumas of like internalizing what it means to be black um, in an incredibly white community. Uh, we had even like people like have been dropping off gifts at our door, but like anonymously, like we don't know who it's from. There's like no letters, it's, like ice cream, flowers and stuff. Yeah, it's like really fucked up. So we started, oh sorry, I wasn't allowed to swear, but we started, I decided to like create like a sign on our door that just like has like one of the, like I don't know what website it is anymore. And it's basically like, oh, thank you for dropping off whatever. Um, go to this website, read at least like two articles, watch a movie and then come back to me and like discuss it. Because for me, I thought like the same, like, cool protests are great and like this is a movement that needs to be education that is something that we need to integrate into our culture like this is not something that you can be like I feel so bad for you guys like this must really suck and then you move on with your day like this needs to change your life and don't put that on me because that's what's been happening I've been putting that on and so for me I've been having like this grappling with the idea of like allyship because for me I haven't seen that support but yeah I, I was still I, I really thought it was uplifting to see protests and like seeing so many people literally just physically show up and hopefully we can take that momentum and use it to be something that is much much longer than this one moment but we shall see about that okay we'll go to kuzi all right um a lot to say i've, I've tried to organize my thoughts into a few buckets um and so i'll start by saying that it, this has been really eye-opening just listening to everybody's perspectives um, reflecting on what's happened over the past uh, week and a half, I'd say. Um, like David was saying, it, it took a pandemic for the whole world to sit still and actually think about what's going on in, in Black communities. Uh, but for me, what it really forced me to do, because when I watched the video of George Floyd, you know, I sat there and, and I actually cried, you know, and it was sad because you know, I could see myself in him. I could see my father. I could see my brother. I could see it's anybody that I know in, in George Floyd, like on the ground screaming, I can't breathe. And it forced me to go back to kind of the root. That's kind of what, was, what has been heavy on my heart is like, okay, what's the root of all this? Because anytime you see a, a tragedy, it's usually a symptom of something deeper going on, right? And so 
um, I sat down and I kind of, you know, watched documentaries and gathered my thoughts. And I came up with these, I guess, four Ps. Um, one of them is this idea of privilege, like what is privilege? Number two, um, like economic power, so power just generally, um, policies. And then the fourth one is policing, right? Because they all kind of tie in together. And um, I'd love everybody just to kind of think through those four Ps because it's just when you unravel each one of those things, you realize that um, there's, there's reasons why we're having problems across all those areas, right? And in my mind, the, one of the more painful areas is this idea that um, we don't have, one of the reasons why this is such a painful experience that continues to happen, right, in communities and societies, be it in the States or um, Canada or anywhere else, like just internationally, one of the reasons why this is a problem is because oftentimes black people aren't prioritized in policymaking and the decisions. So we talked about institutional, like what is an institution? It's, it's basically a group of people that create rules and laws and, and, and have a means of achieving an end, right? Like every institution has a goal, right? If the goal is to uplift others while suppressing another group of people, that's a problem, right? And so in my mind, I'm like, well, how do we change these institutions? Because fundamentally, um, a lot of the institutions we, we rely on are, you know, are organized and run by folks that don't look like us. Why? Because a lot of them have economic power, which then translates into privilege, right? Because we live in a capitalist world at the end of the day. Um, this is more of my economics bias coming out, um, just because that's the area I studied. But I just thought about it in terms of what are the opportunities that we have and what are the problems we face? And the biggest one I see is this idea that we're not treated equally because we're not valued equally by society. And what does this society place value on? They place value on, on um, the economic power of people, right? That's kind of what it comes down to. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, where do we excel the most? Well, black people clearly excel the most in, in you know, areas like entertainment, right? Um, there's a saying, everybody wants our, our rhythm, but nobody wants our blues, right? Um, people talk about black excellence, right? You think about Jay-Z and Beyonce and P. Diddy and all these different people that have excelled in, in things that require creativity, right? So why is it that we're, we're excellent and we're lauded and, you know, everybody was just watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, right? Like, why are we loved in all these other areas? But when it comes down to actually making a policy that affects whether or not a policeman can um, put his knee on your neck for nine minutes, we're nowhere to be found. Not to say that we haven't been advocating for that, we have. But it's just this idea that the institutions that exist don't factor in the, the pain of black people in mind, right? And to me, that bothers me because it means that this problem will keep coming back until we address the actual institutions um, that we need on our side. Because um, everybody has, well, supposedly, according to the law, everybody's supposed to have the same rights. Right? And the thing that I kept trying to explain to my non-Black friends over the course of the past week is Black people are asking for the same rights as everybody else. We're not asking for anything more or anything less. And to me, that's the most painful part of this whole experience. It's this idea that you have to fight just to get equal rights. And for the first time in my life, I'm seeing other people start to understand this notion that, oh, okay, well, this is what you're really fighting for, right? You're fighting just to be treated equally, right? Um, this idea of um, everybody being judged by the content of their character, which is what Martin Luther King said, is something we should all aspire to. But how can we aspire to that if our institutions don't do anything to support us, right? If the police have biases that don't support us. So um, I could ramble on this forever, but I just wanted to put that out there because that to me has been 
a lot of the core uh, problem we've been facing. And you know, to really uh, move forward as a society, we're going to need to address these root problems. And that's going to require people that don't necessarily look like us to take a stand, right? Because we can push and we can pull and we can scream and cry and, cry and kick. But um, I think real change happens in private circles. Real change happens in boardrooms. It happens in people's homes when they're talking to their kids. It happens in areas where we're not present. So that comes down fundamentally to education and um, non-Black people caring enough to actually sit down with their kids and say, hey, racism is a terrible thing. Everybody is entitled to the same rights. Your, your Black brothers and sisters are just as um, valuable as you are as a person. So that's going to take um, other communities actively educating their own people in order for us to realize this change. Because to me, that, that's why I see the biggest change happening is it's in these private circles, the private rooms, private barbecues, all those places are gonna be the places where we can affect change. And it's up to us to help shed light on, on what we're seeing and to unify and advocate, but we're gonna need everybody else's support to achieve this, so. Okay, thank you. And just going off of what one of the things you mentioned, um, police and um, just in general, that whole system of, of the fact that they're a lot of the times they're not representations of people who are in the community. So one of the things that's been going on is people calling for the defunding of the police. So um, let's for for people who are watching and don't really know what that entails, maybe one of you can explain, just give a little short summary of what that means and. Um, yeah, if we agree with that or not. So, Prince. So, my knowledge of the slogan, defund the police, uh, is that to compare to other avenues, as in uh, education, as in the arts, as in um, sports, in, in uh, underprivileged communities. The police is funded much, 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 much more uh, in America than any of, than any of these uh, other categories. Uh, so we see that um, our police is being militarized, but our kids are undereducated. So when it comes to defunding the police, it is not just taking money away from the police. It is taking money away from the police that is unnecessary um, and putting it towards uh, other platforms and other places uh, that would help enrich the community rather than, um, I guess, target it. Yeah, I have a lot to say about that point because I, I was going to bring it up initially when uh, Prince, you were talking in your first comment about at the protest, it was interesting that the police was come to the defense of the group that was doing the aggression, the group that was that was um, that was abusing and um, harassing protesters. The police came to their defense. So we have to think about why is this so? Why does the police tend to cater to the majority group, the group that is not being oppressed. Let's think about the history of the police in North America and in the United States in specific, specifically, which also influences um, Canada as well, where the police came about in the United States because to protect private property, and in that case, private property were slaves. So the police came about 
whenever the slaves would run away to catch them um, and to ensure that they're brought back to the slave owners. So from that history, we can see that the police was never for the benefit of marginalized groups, right? So, and that history perpetuates till now. So when we say that we need to defund the police, um, I agree, absolutely, we need to defund them because it's not just in the States where they're resourced heavily. In Canada as well, I was bringing up, looking at some statistics, um, the Vancouver Police Department budget is currently one-fifth, so it's about 20% of the entire budget for the city of Vancouver. So they're currently their budget, they're resourced at $314 million. Recently, there was a call to reduce the police budget in Vancouver by 1%, and the police pushed back and say that that was not possible because, and their words were, that because there are going to be a lot of protests coming up, they need that 1% to protect the people protesting. Yet we can see in Prince's example, they weren't protecting us. So the whole thing is really ridiculous when you think about it, right? And then also when we're saying defund the police, we're talking about, we need to rethink the purpose of police in our society, right? So everything, the, po the police is not being effective in what they're called to do. So for example, um, in Canada, we had the case of Regis, where that was the, the young woman in, um, in Ontario that um, allegedly um, was murdered by the police. That's the stance that, that, that I'm taking and that a lot of people um, in marginalized communities are taking. Um, because what, in summary, what had happened was there was a mental health situation and the police were called to, to, to assist. And it, it, it ended in the unfortunate death of this young uh, black woman. The police in my head should not be responding to mental health situations, right? We need, there, there must be a better way that we can organize society so that appropriate groups are called to respond in mental health situations. In my head, the police should not be called in domestic violence situations. So what I'm saying is that it's an opportunity for us to rethink how society is structured and to rethink, do we really need the police for all these things? What we can do is to retrain and to um, put that, take away the funds from the police and equip other, um, other groups and other institutions that are better structured and equipped to meet the needs of the, to, to respond to situations the police are clearly effing up and clearly not dealing with appropriately. A lot more to say about some other points, but I want to keep it tight. Defund the police right now, so I, I reserve them. Um, right. Oh, wait, wait. Last thing, last thing, last thing, last thing, sorry, is that um, Black Lives Matter and a lot of other groups, advocacy groups, are currently um, issuing, um, are currently calling on the city. So I believe there's, whether it be a motion or some sort of formal call, um, and it's floating around on Facebook and different social media um, where Black Lives Matter Vancouver is, um, has a list of demands um, where they're calling the city to defund the police um, to condemn certain actions by the police. And also all the details, I can you know, send it to David um, so that they can probably put in the link of this, this video. I think it's very important, especially for us as Black folks, to educate ourselves on, on these calls and uh, to do our best in trying to amplify it. Thank you. Ray, go ahead. Hi. Yeah, so actually, yeah, 
some great points by Kevin today. I'm not, she touched on a lot of things I was going to mention uh, in terms of defunding the police. Um, I think one other thing too is as a society, I think at least like this America and North America, well, the States and even Canada, part of the problem is like as a society where it's a very militarized mentality kind of, kind of um, uh, society, which these are some of the things that as a societal level, which kind of ties to what Kuzi said earlier, we need to start rethinking how we, we, we come up with what the society looks like. So those are, the, those are the kind of things that end up giving the police, for example, or the military having these budgets that are basically skewed into, towards their favor without necessarily having programs that are looking into how efficient are these programs actually. So I'm not going to belittle the point. I'm not going to beat that point too much. I think you touched on it really well. The one thing I would say, though, is um, so when you're taking, you know, say, take funding from this program, the police, and let's call it, and we're looking to move it into other programs that would be of more benefit to the society. So you have, you know, your health, your mental health, community upbuilding, education. I think some things we also need to look out for is instead of just taking the money and just dumping into the programs and then just hoping it fixes itself. I think we also need to look at those programs as well and look at any implicit biases that may be part of those programs and how we can do those programs better Add in addition to also how the money is also being spent. So it's, it's kind of like a twofold. So, uh, you know, uh, efficiency in terms of spending money is very important, especially if you want to get the buy-in of like majority in society because everyone just wants to look at the numbers. What does it look like? So and, and just it just it's just also part of being a good steward as a as a human and as a society as well. So I think definitely when you move defund the police, which I personally am in favor of, but there's got to be a program, there's got to be a plan to replace whatever they thought policing was doing, whatever that is. You know, uh, we can debate that to the end. Um, but like I said, those programs no need to be looked at and uh, ensure that any the institutionalized racism and biases that are in those programs also need to be flushed out and as well as looking at the way those programs have been funded and how beneficial those are to the communities that they're looking to serve. So I think sometimes, you know, in the haste of, with politics and stuff, it's like defund the police, which I'm all for, and then the, poli the politicians pass something that's kind of just, does, is, is not filled with actual details of what that's going to look like. So they get like the yes points of defund police, but they don't actually provide the value that those of us who want them to defund the police um, once and then it just kind of goes to the wayside and then like the, the wave of society comes back again it's like oh well see that money was wasted let's bring back the police stuff and that this is this is a common occurrence with so many political decisions especially that are tied to social justice over the years so um, I think that's something that's also that's important to to kind of look into as well. David? Um, yeah I was just going to say that um, you know, the, when people talk about defunding the police, I think they also accept that reform won't work. Like they, they've tried, there have been so many reform policies that have been tried in terms of the police system and they just haven't worked. For example, there's been a ban on chokeholds actually in a lot of police uh, systems in North America, but we still see police use chokeholds. Um, there's also a lot of uh, studies that have been put out that show that implicit bias training does not work. So even if you try to teach police um, officers how to not have biases and to treat every every um, situation equally in terms of um, who is being involved, they still will um, uh, discriminate against, you know, in terms of how they react to certain situations, whether it's a white person or a black person. So um, I think at this point, a lot of people are 
finished with trying to look at reform and they're saying that look the police system is broken there's no point in trying to fix it it won't work let's defund it let's um let's um reprioritize the budgets of these police um police uh, systems and move them to social services move them to um to uh um, to education and move them into where and to places where they'd be more productive um and so yeah that's that's kind of um, the point that I, I just want to make is that it's no more about reform it's not going to defund it because it just doesn't work anymore one um scary thing that i learned that david actually shared a link with me was um there were it was these two guys explaining how um the police departments actually have a set budget for police brutality cases that um, in terms of like payoffs when there's, they probably, if say a, there was a police brutality case and it wasn't, there was no charges brought criminally and um, whoever is accusing the police decided to take it to civil court, there is like a set budget of about like $71 million for those type of cases which i just thought was crazy and a lot of these these times a lot of the times they raise these funds through the stock market they actually issue bonds and so kind of like mortgage-backed securities back in you know 20 2008 where people were using it as a security vehicle to make more money people are actually able to invest in these police brutality bonds and the interest on it is obviously crazy. So they are making money in Wall Street from police brutality cases, about like $18 million of profit in that, which is crazy to me. And I also saw this clip on Fox News where they were showing the trends year after year, every time there was some um, outrage and spark in a like a high profile police brutality case, the stock market would actually increase. So that was really scary, especially because of Fox News's um, demographic. So, you know, it's a lot of white, you know, really white supremacists on there too. So if they're seeing, wow, this is profitable, then maybe they, they might want to vote in someone who's who's all for a force and military, the, the militarization of the police. So all those things are just so built into the system that it's scary that it's not just like a social issue, it's also that these people are economically profiting from police brutality. So that, that was wild to me. But um, I'll let Afra go next. That's that's honestly so shocking to me. I mean, kind of, not really. Like, you kind of expect these kind of atrocities to occur in this country, especially because so many benefit, like, everything is run off of money and capitalistic gain. Um, but I, kinda, I was going to go off of what David was saying. That was one of my points. It's that a lot of times, like, people are outraged because there's not enough training. But at the end of the day, like, like he said, it doesn't really matter. These are things that are instilled so deeply into these people um, that regardless of how much training they do, like it still doesn't really help. It doesn't, you don't see the outcome in a lot of these cases. Like here in Seattle, the police have like almost half, it's almost 50% at this point of the Seattle's budget. Um, we recently had a, a March um, a protest that was specifically for defunding the police. We marched to City Hall where one of our community leaders actually had a meeting 
with the mayor and she was presented with like a list of demands like where we wanted the money to be allocated from that was going to be divested from the police budget um, and the mayor had an opportunity to respond but she literally she didn't address any of the, the points she kind of just talked about something that was completely unrelated she wanted to pacify the crowd but thankfully like a lot of people are starting to open up and like not accept the little things that um, the government kind of wants to give us to make us happy or whatever because um, a lot of times there are a lot of tactics used to like say okay here we did this like are you guys going to be happy um which is why i think a lot of people are against this like propaganda that's going on right now where people are happy that police are joining in and like kneeling with protesters or hugging protesters and that's such a dangerous mindset right now because like we've seen they will kneel with you one second and they're tear gassing the crowd the next um, so I think it is really important, um, like Ray was talking about, we need to have kind of um, an objective when we are talking about defunding the police and where, which departments we want the money to go to. Because um, right now, like, they're getting millions and in, in, in some cases in LA, it's almost 3 billion, which is 53% of the budget, which is just like, that's so much money where, and teachers don't have enough supplies to even teach their kids like there's some teachers who are having to pay out of their own pocket just so like their students can have supplies or like even with housing there's people like that was one of our main points is that the housing in our city right now is really bad um whether it's with gentrification or like our mayor is doing a lot of like sweeps where she's trying to um she's kind of affecting homelessness in a really negative way. They've like added spokes in a lot of places so people can't lay down even outside or they're just like tossing all of their, um, like their belongings, like the only thing that they actually have. So we're trying to be really objective about what exactly we want the money to go to, but they're not really responding well yet, which is why obviously we're continuing to go on. Um, and or we have a meeting like this week, I think she has to present our budget for it. Um, so we'll see, like hopefully things do change, but right now, like the, the police are continuing to get away with it. Okay, Prince? I feel like a very big reason why um, the, poli the police reform has really failed uh, is because people don't understand the severity uh, of police brutality. You know, I saw I saw this um, this post up, and one of my uh, my cousin, my direct blood cousin, is a doctor, uh, and he I had a conversation with him as well, and he was just mentioning to me, uh, for uh, medical doctors malpractice, your license is stripped away, you face a medical court, you could go to jail. There are things that happen right away. Uh, I had a very good talk with uh, one of my really really good friends in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and he was just explaining to me the way the police work there, and he went to school over here in, in uh, Canada, and he was just explaining to me the difference between the way it works. And he was saying he had an encounter with the police officer, uh, and in the process um, of him being booked for something he did not do, the police officer lied. Uh, and keep in mind, Saudi Arabia in, in many ways is a lot more extremist than we are here in North America, but uh, once it was found out that the police officer lied, um, he was uh, sentenced to death. 
he was sentenced to be executed. Keep in mind, he was not executed. He did not end up being executed. Um, but he was just explaining to me that when you, when you uh, swear to protect and serve the people, that is your duty. If you fail to protect and serve the people and instead incite anger or harm the people uh, or harm, um, harm those or protect those, sorry, harming the people, uh, that is, uh, they don't stand for that. And that is grounds for capital punishment uh, there. So I'm looking at that compared to police officers uh, here in North America or in America where they, you can see them being shot or see them shooting somebody uh, on video in cold blood uh, and somehow some way excuses are still made about why that person does things. And I feel like it, it's mostly uh, seen here in North America versus anywhere else in the world because from a lot of the people I have spoken to, uh, the government does not tolerate uh, when police go out of line outside of their duties. And there's a board for things like that, where if a police officer does go outside or uh, out of line, uh, they have a board where police officers can be reviewed and police officers do go on trial for their actions. I believe we do have something like that here in Canada as well. Uh, but for some reason, uh, it is not implemented enough here and not executed at all in America. So I feel like when we talk about police reform, uh, if police reform is an option, it needs to be a little bit more extreme than we think of just bringing in someone to talk to police officers about, um, about how you shouldn't uh, treat a black man different than a white man, than an Asian man, than a Latinx uh, man. I feel like it needs to be as severe as possible because again, these people have taken an oath to protect and serve and anything out of that is malpractice. Something I was always thinking too in terms of defunding the, the, the police was, if we got more creative with this, like if we really think about what society could look like, um, and this, this was this came to my mind when I listened to that podcast, which I shared um, in the chat, and hopefully we shared uh, as a larger resource. Was the idea that if we dive, uh, directed the funds elsewhere, certain things wouldn't need to be criminalized. So, for example, um, I'm shocked to hear that the budget in some states in the, uh, for police in the states is 50% off. Of, of a city like to me that's unfathomable you mean half of your money is going towards the police wherein think about if you direct some of that money towards making transit free you know what i mean then you wouldn't need police to monitor um the transit station you wouldn't need police and therefore an activity is not criminalized so therefore you're phasing them out and that approach can be applied in so many different sectors of society i feel like as a society we've become comfortable with with the idea of criminalization and the idea of criminalization who does that impact the most black and brown bodies um marginalized communities so yeah this is, as you know back to Kuzi's point yeah the system wasn't it wasn't it wasn't built for us if the, the institutions were made with us in mind because and again the criminalization of us equates to money which goes into the hands of white people so yeah good point um and also just going back to when we're discussing um the protests as well i know one of the points that was brought up is to make all these 
changes that we're pushing for sustainable in the long run um, with allies and also within our circles as well. So um, is there someone that can speak to how we can go about doing that, what we can push for to make all these changes that we're calling for more sustainable? Um, I'll start with you, Ayo. <clears throat> Thank you. So I've been thinking a lot. Uh, I, I've been conducting a lot of introspection and also thinking a lot about how anti-Black racism has affected are two other really important people in my life, like my brother who passed away and my little sister. Um, my mom and dad immigrated to Canada for a better life for all of us. I think that's a story that a lot of people know and understand. Um, my brother was an amazing hockey player. He went to play college hockey at the age of 16. And he would, uh, whenever he would be on the ice and he would get a hat trick or, you know, score a lot or give a lot of assists, um, the other coach uh, on, like, opposing teams of majority white teams would be would yell out for everyone to hear get that n-word get that n-word make sure he doesn't score again and i remember going up within the acting industry uh going to auditions and being signed to agencies and experiencing anti-black racism and uh, my sister as well and so um i'm an individual who sometimes you know i'm not necessarily a shy person but sometimes when i need to get my thoughts in order i write and that my pen has been my best friend and i thought if people if i could speak and if i could say something um and it would absolutely happen, what would I say? And so uh, I'll, I'll read it super quickly. It's not too long. But with regards to anti-Black racism in Vancouver, I simply just said, to the hockey teams prevalent in the greater Vancouver area, what will you do to ensure that the Black hockey players on your team are in an environment where anti-Black racism is not welcome or tolerated? To the acting and modeling agencies of Vancouver, what will you do to ensure that your black actors, models, artists, and talent are in an environment where their blackness is celebrated and where they have the same access to auditions, complex roles, and hair and makeup services that your white talent does? To the school curriculum of British Columbia, specifically to British Columbia's Minister of Education, Rob Fleming, what will you do to ensure that black history, not just Black History Month, is implemented into the educational curriculum for the schools of our province? What will you do to ensure that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Angela Davis, Nelson Mandela, LGBTQIA legend and icon Marsha P. Johnson, and Canadian hero Viola Desmond are studied and celebrated in our education system? One of the greatest tools that we can use to dismantle anti-Black racism and to ensure that all understand that Black Lives Matter is to celebrate Black history and Black historians in our school system. Rob Fleming and British Columbia, education is key. It's time you do your part to make sure that British Columbia and subsequently all of Canada understands that Black lives matter. And I wrote all of this on the foundation of, of being exhausted and being tired. Anti-Black racism, I keep reiterating this because this is something I will always, like I'm, my emotions and passions ardent. This is not anti-Black racism and uprooting it and dismantling it. It's not our responsibility. It's, non-black people of color's responsibility, white people's responsibility. You cannot start a fire and then claim black people as your firefighters. That's the most ludicrous thing I've, like, I, I simply can't wrap my brain around it. And so when I wrote all of that, I, I, I essentially to sum it all up, it's your mess, clean this shit up. It's not up for us. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I can only wish that our real allies uh, and the, our real white allies and our real non-black people of color allies will, listen to these words and do their part in making sure that there's systematic and social change. So, yeah, 
think to Yo's point, um, he said it very eloquently, but the biggest thing that stood out to me is just legislation. If you want the education system to change, legislate it. If you want policemen to stop killing black lives, legislate against it. Make sure that they go to jail. Make sure that they get life sentences against them if they, if they commit crimes and atrocities against black, black bodies. Um, for a lot of the problems that we see right now with institutions, we need laws that are in our favor. Things that actively say, hey, you know what, if this happens to a black person, then there's a crime, there's a punishment associated with this. Right? And then I think a, a further step even beyond that is we need to start actively involving our non-black friends, allies in these wider conversations. And uh, beyond the marches and everything, I think we need focus groups and we, need, um, we also need groups that focus on economic inclusion. Because for me, like, the biggest thing that can change the, um, the, uh, the, some of the problems in, that we face um, consistently in society is this idea of creating opportunities, right? Most people uh, were able to stop and think about this pandemic because a lot of them were either unemployed or forced to be at home, right? Um, if people were out there, you know, working and doing all these other things, maybe they wouldn't have spent as much time thinking about the plight of black people, right? So my whole thing is we want to sort of reverse um, this idea that um, people only think about this when they've got nothing else to do. They should be thinking about this over the course of their daily lives. So that goes to economic inclusion. And economic inclusion comes from creating opportunities. So I posted a couple of articles in the group, but if you look up um, access and you know, funding and different things like that, um, these are some of the biggest things I think the black community needs, right? We need fair access, right? I know Pauline works in banking. We need fair access, right, to loans and all these other things. If a black person has a great idea, let's help them get off the ground, right? If somebody wants to, you know, create a community organization, they should get access to support and funding and grants and things like that. So there needs to be wider access to these things because um, if we're able to create um, pockets of prosperity in our societies, people will see that. Right. And they'll start to support more. Right? So it's kind of like that circular wheel. The more progress we make, the more people support and the more people support, the more progress we make. Right. So that's kind of how I think about this. We, we need to start that um, that that hamster wheel of just getting um, more opportunities coming our way, because unless unless we do that, we're going to be talking about similar problems five years from now, 10 years from now. Right? And we can't afford that. We need to be the change that we want to see. Right. And so we need to hold our politicians accountable to the laws. Right, and the economic inclusion we promote. And another thing I was gonna say just on that last point about economic inclusion is vote with your dollars. Shop at a black business, right? Go and actually support the people that look like you. Because at the end of the day, the money, every dollar you spend is a reflection of what you value, right? So vote with your feet, vote with your dollars. And that's ultimately how you start to get real change. Because if you affect somebody's bottom line, they'll listen to you, right? And black people have numbers. We may not be the most populous in the country, but we've got numbers and our, and our, and our dollars count. So vote with your feet, vote with your dollars, right? and keep your politicians accountable to laws. Those are the things I think we should prioritize right now. Yeah, and I just wanna say something um, to add on to that. And I think black people, we have a lot of influence even in our little circles. Like people, a lot of the time look to us for what's cool or trendy. And I think when we promote things that come from us, um, people are more inclined to also put their dollars into us. So um, we're running short on time. So I'll just have um, Prince, I think you had your hand up. 
um, as the last point. Um, so I just want to bounce off of what uh, Kuzi is saying and also kind of what Ewell is saying. I feel like for, in order for real lasting change to come, uh, one cannot exist without the other. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of the time we, we put pressure on politics uh, to make change and laws alone to make change. Uh, but the reason why laws are in place is because of the ethics of the people. You know what I mean? Laws are put into power. Things are put into place uh, to reflect the um, to reflect the way a, a group of people want to move forward. At the beginning of this country, those people were white people. You know what I mean? The laws were put into place in order to reflect the ethics, the ethics, sorry, of white people. And it is not until very, very recently where uh, the ethics and beliefs of black people uh, were included in that equation. Uh, so I don't want to only put it on getting into legislation uh, because there are laws in place now that should protect all people that do not, that do not protect all people, right? Uh, so I believe also education, um, as Jewel was saying, is also very, very, very key uh, because if you're able to influence the ethics of a community, then the politics will reflect that. Just real quick. Yeah, great note to end on. Um, so we'll conclude it here. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and opinions on the topic that we raised today. And thank you to everyone who has been watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to give this video a like or a comment below with your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Also follow us on social media, either on Instagram or Facebook at Unbox Show. Thank you, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.